Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome back to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsing, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? It's going okay, Kate. I have a really important question for you, though, that I really need to ask you and I really would like some feedback on. Okay. Yes. I'm ready. Are, are you ready? Great. Okay. What should my partner and I order for takeout tomorrow? <laughs> like, my instinct is is some form of dumplings. Like, my instinct oh. is, like, like potstickers okay. and other mm-hmm. things that then you would order, depending on what the place that, like, you order from is good at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where my mind immediately goes. But, like, there's lots okay. of other options. Yeah. Okay, well, it's funny that you say dumplings, because we were talking about ordering from a Szechuan place that we really like, um, that does really great dumplings. The problem with the Szechuan place, however, is, and I say problem in air quotes, is that we always order everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because all the food is delicious. Like, it's super, super good, and we can't ever really decide on anything. Mm-hmm. So we just order all of it. Um, so she drives to go get it, and then she comes back with, like, eight boxes of food. (laughs) Yeah. That we will then finish over the course of the weekend. Um, but we also already have, like, a number of leftovers from our meals that we did for this week. Mm -hmm. Um, because we made a big bitter greens lasagna that we, uh, make every couple of months that is delicious. Um, it's from Moosewood. Um, so just Google bitter greens lasagna and Moosewood and make that because it's really good. Um, and then like a green chili um, soup, but it's just, yeah, it's just too much food. It's a lot of food, <laughs> but it's all really delicious, including their sour shredded potatoes. Just so good. Yeah, I've, I'm so on good. day three of um, the Thai food I got earlier this week. Um, mm-hmm. And because uh, it's, it's absolutely delicious, but I've run out of rice. And fortunately, dinner tonight was was chicken stir fry. So now there's extra rice. So now I can finish oh, my yeah. tie tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's the same trouble I run into of, uh, you know, it like, what do I pick? If I'm going to go to the effort of getting takeout, I I order too much rather than not enough because I'm like, then I'll have leftovers and I'll have several meals. And that's how I end up having like the same one or two entrees from the Indian place that's really good by me. Uh, for mm-hmm. like an entire week. Uh, but also then it's so expensive. <laughs> it really adds up. It's very expensive. That's the, like, we can easily lay down 80 to to $100 mm-hmm. just on the base order. This is before tip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, and we're and like, the, they, uh... I have to stop doing this. What am I going to do? Not get crab rangoon and pot stickers? No, that's ridiculous. That is absurd. Yeah. They, they refuse to let me order one of each. Uh, you know, they've refused to let me do the lunch special to go, even during COVID. So that means I have, what am I going to do? Like, not have, an, like, a full thing of five of them that I then try to meet out over several days and reheat, even though they don't reheat, but it's still yummy. Yeah. Come on. It's ridiculous. Struggle is real. <laughs> Struggle very real. is so very, very real. Um, listeners, there's a little bit of TV news this week, uh, but we're mostly going to skate uh, skate past it because there's a bunch of TV to talk about. And also because, frankly, uh, there, with the different various things that are that are going on in the world right now, I'd rather talk about our TV than, you know, the actual news going on in, for example, Israel and some other places. Um, but we did think we should mention uh, the reporting by Mo Ryan over at Salon that, that 
uh, was published, I think, yesterday or today as we record. I think um, yesterday, yeah. Yeah. I think Wednesday. This was uh, a investigative piece that Ryan did, uh, that Mo did, about um, uh, Greg Spottiswood, the showrunner of All Rise, who was let go, for who was fired from that position after they the, the executive producers and studio found out that she was working on this piece. They were like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, of course, Mo Ryan, fabulous reporting, as always, uh, talking about the culture created at the show, but also the more specific and um, nuanced elements of it, where, like, the you know, talking about how this is a show that started with, as a, as a white showrunner, um, who is, you know, sexist and racist, uh, I feel, allegedly, allegedly, whatever, sexist and racist, but also hired a majority minority cat like writers room and mm-hmm. had apparently a really supportive positive interaction with the majority uh minority cast like yes. a really positive so like like the you know the, at least based on the reporting a really positive experience for the actors of color on that show and a horrible experience for the writers of color and even just and the one int- of the producers as well, and the producers, yes, as well. yes, of course, yes, thank you, yeah, um, in the in the writers' room, uh, but which is producers and, and other people as well, yes, thank you, um, but and that's with interacting with the same person, you know, and that it's, it's just because you know as is not no longer a surprise and should not be a surprise, just because you have a positive interaction with someone doesn't mean that they treat everybody else the same as you, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, which is a lesson that you know sometimes needs to be restated and relearned um anyways it's go check it out uh it's a long read but a good read and an interesting read and um yeah mo is continuing to to do terrific work um it is she always has terrific work in every area it just seems yeah. that she is given these stories and is a lot like like people will hire her to write these stories in a way that um they aren't necessarily you know having letting other people do do them, um, and whether that's something that's it's because she's particularly passionate about it, or because she's actually built up a bit of a brand around this type of reporting at this point, um, you know, it could it's probably both. But uh, it's it's always I always look forward to her writing, and I hope she gets to write about happier things, um, you know, for, the, for her next big big reported piece. I always love her reported pieces. Um, any other thoughts on on this story? Well, I do want to also point out that she did a little bit of a thread about this on top of a discussion from a Hollywood Reporter article that was written by two folks over there um, about how the press is becoming Hollywood's HR department, which is not how this should function. And Ryan's got a decent thread both contextualizing this recent piece about All Rise as well as responding to that Hollywood Reporter piece and kind of putting them into harmony with one another and discussing this idea of this is not how this works because what I'm doing takes an immense amount of time and should not be the way that this is done. Um, Because HR in particular, like this kind of thing should not be an afterthought or should not be as the Hollywood Reporter piece phrases it, as well as some conversations she's had with executives and whatnot is, Everyone knows about this kind of behavior happening, but until the media gets a hold of it, they don't feel compelled to do anything about it. Yeah. I.e. look at Scott Rudin. 
Um, so that's the kind of thing that's happening here. And it's a really good thread on top of a very good article as well. Um, so I'd encourage listeners to seek that out. If you haven't read it already, you probably have if you're listening to this. Um, but do it and, you know, pour yourself like a big cup of tea. Um, <laughs> cause yeah. like Kate said, it's very long, but it's very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, I, I appreciate it particularly in that thread, Mo's note of like, if you think that we're publishing all the stories that we hear, you're very wrong. Because spoiler yes. alert, publications don't like getting sued. So yes. there are many, many, many more that we know about that the journalists and reporters hear about and hear rumblings of that they are not able to report for various reasons. So pretending like the media is the way, the correct way to go on this is... Very foolish. Um, so yeah, I'll, I will link the article and the thread um, in the show notes so you guys can can check that out. But yeah, uh, yeah, Mo Ryan, friend friend of the show, Mo Ryan. Feel so privileged we get to say that. Doing doing excellent work as always. Uh, this week at the end of the show, we are talking about the third of the episodes slash films in small acts. Uh, <laughs> continuing our series on that, uh, which is red, white, and blue. Um, that was super fun. So the conversation's coming at the end of the show. But before then, we've got a full week in TV. So let's take a break, listen to a little Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, and we'll be right back with our week in TV. was one of the delightful songs from this week's episode of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, Zoe's Extraordinary Session. That's going to be the first episode we talk about this week in TV. Then we're going to check back in with Rutherford Falls Season 1. Legendary had its Season 2 premiere, and they dropped the first three episodes. So Grand March Part 1, Part 2, and then Tinseltown, which is like the first regular episode. Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under had their Snatch Game, so I'll have just a few thoughts on that. Uh, And then Top Chef Portland had Stumptown USA. Uh, we'll head over to genre then with a couple thoughts quickly on Batwoman. I'll give you a clue before we go to The Flash, Timeless, and Supergirl's mid-season finale, Fear Not, but with a K. Uh, so first up is Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, Zoe's Extraordinary Session. This is our flashback episode to Zoe's first day at Spark Point. Um, I have, I'm have i behind on this one, so I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Uh, the, the finale is next week. Uh, how does this set things up, and what did you think of the choice to do a flashback here? I thought it actually worked pretty well. I think within the context of interrogating what Max means to Zoe, that this was a really good episode for showing us the fa- the the basis for their relationship. 
on both sides. Um, from a Max perspective, it doesn't happen until the very end of the episode. Um, but from a Zoe perspective, it's across the episode. And I think that it's really good. And I really, really like the episode. Um, I don't love the whole we've all met before type of thing that happens with um, Mo being a rideshare driver that Zoe takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, they probably don't remember that they were rideshares. Uh, but it, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> But generally, the episode avoids all of that, and it brings back Gallagher um, for the flashback, which is really, really great. So I think that there's a lot of good stuff in this episode that I actively enjoyed. Um, it's weird that Lauren Lauren Graham is not in this episode, however. Yeah, she should um, be. I'm not super upset about it, but it's real weird she's not in it. <laughs> uh, but that aside... It's good. I really like the foundation that it provides for Max and Zoe's relationship. However, this is this is kind of the point that I'm kind of frustrated by, is that you and I were very happy with episode 11's. Yeah, no, you're not upset about Max leaving because you love him. You're upset because it's a loss, and you're thinking about loss. And this episode starts from a place of interrogating Zoe's first legitimate feeling about loss um which happens so late in her life that i'm very glad for her um but it ends on a note of right but this sounds like a love story and not a loss story this is from the therapist who just told her that it was an issue of loss last week and i'm like you motherfuckers Yeah. I was so happy with you last week. And then you just had to go and be like, about that sneak attack. Um, so I'm not excited about that little uh, face heel turn that they did on me. Um, but I'll be curious to see how you feel about it. Because uh, I'd want you to know that going in so you'll be less angry when it happens. <laughs> well, as long as you tell me that uh, we don't find out that, uh, uh, you know, all the winnings to the casino have been re-lost to the casino and now the house is, you know. We haven't about turned on that storyline as well, have we? They have. They don't even talk about the casino this episode. The framing device is Zoe at her. Um, so, the oh, so the entire episode. thing is that. It's just, okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well then, yeah, then I then I can deal with that because I'm not, I mean, see, just last week I was talking about how I needed to give the writers more credit, and, and then this is mm-hmm. good to know that it's like, maybe not, maybe not. <sighs> oh, well. Well, I look forward to catching up with it and talking about the finale next week, uh, but we also had Rutherford Falls this week, and you caught up with the rest of the season. I'm curious how you felt about, you know, because you were intrigued by the third and certainly for the fourth episode. Um, how did the rest of the season play out for you, and did you find yourself similarly like, Oh, that's where they're ending it at the end of season one. Yeah, I was a little surprised by where they ended it in season one, because I agree with you. It very much feels like a mid-season point as opposed to the end of season point. So, yeah, it's very much almost like a pilot season, mm-hmm. um, which is not my favorite. But of the pilot types of seasons, this is pretty good overall. Um, I still don't really... I'm still not really compelled by Nathan in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And I acknowledge that I think that some of that's by design. Some of that is me just kind of resisting Ed Helms's charm, of which he does have a considerable amount, but he's never really... 
I've never really been completely enamored with him, even though I think he is a good performer. I just don't... There's some weird resistance that I have to him that I can't really explain. Um, So that... I think the double factor of... This guy is really terrible, but also in, like, such deep denial um, that it's really kind of frustrating. Um, That... Why are we centered on this guy when there are two very good characters right here? Um... So, ultimately, I was keener on the show than I ended up being, and I liked a lot of the development around the idea to revitalize Gravity Falls. Uh, Gravity Falls. Rutherford Falls. (laughs) Rutherford Falls. Wow. Um, Yeah, so to revitalize Rutherford Falls into this colonial Williamsburg-esque place that is then centered around the casino, I think is really an interesting concept. And also just like, I immediately want to time skip to where that show is already, they've, they've done that Mm -hmm. because I'm just like, there's so much material there to mine and we can just skip over all the zoning stuff. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm, I'm really interested in what a season two might look like. Um, cause I think I would actually watch a season two. Um, even I just need Nathan to maybe not, be in the show or be the focal point of the show basically um but now that i've seen the rest of it you can kind of tell me how you thought about like the back half of the season since we were kind of limited when we talked about it a week or so ago yeah i'm just so much so much more interested in everything that isn't nathan Mm um you know it's like just not even again i just would prefer the show i'm more interested in the show where here's a supporting character yes as opposed to what a co-lead. And even as it feels incredibly like straightforward that the energy of the show, the, the, the momentum is taking us to, this is not no longer his show. Uh-huh. It's like there, I don't know whether it's show notes or like from the, the, the studio or from um, uh, in this case, Peacock or from the executive producers or whatever that is guiding things in like, depending you know, I don't know if it's that or if it's they're like, well, we but we got to still, you know, keep Ed Helms. He's our name. Right. We got to keep him in the middle. The The narrative momentum is driving everything to the center of the show is the tribe and the casino and the development and this back and forth. Yep. And and they keep then cutting back to his freak out and road trip and family and this other stuff. And it's not bad. It's just not nearly as compelling as the rest of it um and it's it's a strange it's a bit of a strange thing it's a bit of an odd duck because of that um but yeah i'm I'm certainly interested in season two and looking forward to uh what will or what may come next in it and and the notion of what is like what how would restructuring and reconceiving the town like their their conception of the town, how would that help and hurt harm? And you know, it's not what Nathan wants, but who cares what Nathan wants? Frankly, yes. at a certain point, compared to you know all these other characters and all these other people that it would help uh, to revitalize. Um, so, like, it's there's a lot of interesting things for them to play with, and I'm certainly get, uh, very curious of what they're going to do in the season two, and what tweaks and adjustments, if any they're going to make after seeing like getting a little distance and seeing how it all came together in season one. 
Yeah. And I think that's kind of like the other key thing that I kind of want them to, why I want them to do that skip over to the town has been retrofitted at this point. Because one of the things that I was a little frustrated by is how the town does not feel like it's a part of the show. Yeah. Um, and that's a little frustrating for me um, because so much of it is centered on Nathan as well as like, I have a better sense of like a little better sense of the politics of the Minishanka tribe. And how all of those gears kind of turn, then I do necessarily how Rutherford Falls works or feels about anything. Apart from most people don't like this statue, but they also seem in a very Parks and Rec sort of way easily corralled into caring about things that other more eloquent people can make them care about. Um, so I'm curious to see how the how that would play out. Um, my only other thing, and this is a very specific finale note, is that Kate, I know that you know this, but I feel like Rutherford Falls does not know this, but that is not what three pounds of chicken Parmesan looks like. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Three pounds of chicken Parmesan is like four breasts at most. And that was easily like a casserole dish. Yeah. Yeah chicken parm that no that's not what that's not what three pounds of that looks like that's just not just get a scale out and that'll you know and then rewrite the dialogue it's not as funny i freely acknowledge that but i'm just saying just make the number bigger right yeah just make it harder yeah no No. (laughs) um well yeah yeah it was gross um, it was so gross. I'm not, it was my partner and I were both not happy about the surprise projectile vomiting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If that's a trigger for you, be warned. You're just going to want to skip ahead through, you know, you'll see it coming and you can just fast forward. You'll be fine. Um, so the next episode we have here, let's move swiftly on. Uh, yeah. Something much more fabulous, which is the return of Legendary for season two on HBO Max. And um, this is, of course, the voguing and ballroom uh, team challenge reality competition show. Um, and I, I really enjoyed these first few episodes of the, the, the teams they have, the houses they have on the season. There's a really nice level, uh, for them. There's a bunch of really talented people. They, they started with two, the two, a double premiere grand March, but there's 10 teams. So what they did for, for each of them is they had five teams present the grand March, Meaning they they needed to showcase all five elements of Vogue, voguing. So uh, that's that's um, catwalk, runway, duck walk, floor performance, spits, uh, dips and spins, um, and th- then they got judged on their overall performance and their look and their cohesiveness as presenting their their whole house. Um, versus the third episode, which then is a standard ball with a theme and like a certain category that they needed to focus on as opposed to the entire like full package um and so what they did then is then they eliminated one team from each of those episodes so in the third episode you have the it's like a top eight so there's pros and cons there i think doing a grand march like split premiere gives you a lot more time to really get a sense of each house which I think really benefits from, but I do have like I did think that the second episode, the overall level was not as high as the overall level of the first episode. So there is definitely teams that I think were weaker performers that got made it through the second premiere 
that would not necessarily have made it through if they had to compete against the people in the first premiere. And so there's always a little bit of like eyebrow raising at that kind of a thing. But um, I, I really enjoyed uh, the performances. Uh, the The judges have stepped up their game in a notable way. Uh, I mean, obviously not Naomi. Like, <laughs> she does not need to step up anything. She's a ballroom legend and can do no wrong. <laughs> but uh, Megan Thee Stallion and uh, certainly Jamila Jamil, uh, Jamila Jamil, uh, have got, come back this season much more, like, they've been studying. <laughs> they Much okay, more, good. like specific with their critiques, looking for much more specific things, co- commenting on on some of the uh, the different uh, choices. And uh, La Roach, I think also, you know, he, he's playing a bit of the antagonist, the tough judge. Um, but then he also will, like, give a 10 to a team that doesn't seem like it deserves a 10. And then he gives, like, a 4. A four to a team that's like, yeah, it was a weak team, but like maybe a six, not a four, you know. So like he's kind of playing a little fast and loose, and you can tell that depending on which way he over exaggerates his rating, it felt to me at least like Jamila, who's after him, was then adjusting hers so that, that it would like cancel his out a little, you know. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and that's just my speculative theory because there's like one team she gave a nine to that that the other people gave like sevens to and i think she would have given closer to a seven if he had not just given them like a four or something you know so like just trying to but then that's that's another big change for the season which is instead of just doing 10 or chop they literally give them a number like one to ten and then they add them add them all up the first two episodes did not have a guest judge so it was just the four. So it was like out of 40 points total. And then whoever, you know, there's a superior house and then there is the bottom two have to pick one person to do a battle. And then, you know, they vote which team who won the battle and that whoever lost gets eliminated. So that part is very similar. But I like that there is now some space between chop and 10. I like that there's like seven. I'm like, I'm gonna give you a solid eight, you know, that kind of thing. Like, it was good. Um, I appreciate that. There is a guest judge in the third episode. Um, so it seems like that element will recur and that then gives them to five judges. So 50 points. So it's just, you know, nice round number. Um, Deshaun, uh, is the only host now. Jimmy Jamila is just a, a judge, which is the correct thing to do because, and, oh, and also if there's a tie, when there was a tie, um, like f- between them f- for who should like the battle, the end, uh, they would then confer and they have to break the tie. Uh, and if they could, were not able to do that, he breaks the tie. And I'm like, yes. Cause again, <laughs> the man is an expert. <laughs> yeah. Let he, I, I let him break the ties is how I feel about it. Um, but you know, that, that the way they can build up some suspense and everything, but Anyways, I, I'm liking some of these changes. Uh, the theme for the third episode is Tinseltown. And so each each of the houses had a different era uh, that they did, a different decade that they did of like Hollywood, like looks and feel and types of dancing and stuff like that, too. Um, some and it was, like I don't think they picked them. I think they were assigned them. <laughs> and some teams benefited from particularly evocative eras and some teams struggled a, a bit more. Uh, but I like that the team that won was the team that had the 80s. <laughs> um, as opposed to, like, when you think Tinseltown, you don't go to, like, whoever has the 80s, Hollywood is going to win. You'd think, like, I don't know, 20s, 40s, you know, that kind of a thing. And they all did great. But, like, yeah, there there was some really impressive dancing. I'm very much here for certain of the of the 
uh, house, uh, the, the mothers and fathers. Um, I'm here for Balenciaga. I am house of Balenciaga. I'm very here for, um, uh, Miyake I'm very here for, I think it's Tishi. Absolutely crushed it as well. Um, so there's, there's just a lot of really terrific stuff. One of the house mothers went to jail in the nineties for several years. I don't remember how many for stealing 17 and a half million dollars. Like okay. scamming 17 and a half million dollars and went to jail and then um, turned turned her life around after that. And somebody she met in jail uh, was actually her, like her house mother who like got her into the world of voguing. Um, and, okay. and, and so like there, there's some, so, so let me say, there's some compelling and very un, unusual or what, not necessarily what you would anticipate backstories going on. Um, there's, so yeah, there's, there's some, some really neat and some really, really talented dancers um, in in the mix this season. So I'm looking forward to following it. Uh, do you think you're going to check in with Legendary or not so much? Probably not. No. Um, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. It's it's a very specific thing. Um, so it's, yeah. it's certainly not for everyone, but I really enjoyed having it back. Um, I, I also enjoyed Drag Race Down Under's Snatch Game. And the reason I enjoyed it is because it was rough. Is this correct? Is this just the second episode? Did they do Snatch Game in the second episode? Yeah. Well, because they only had 10 queens to start. Oh, okay. And they, and they actually eliminated someone in the first episode. <laughs> so, you okay. know, if you do that. And they also did that in All-Stars 2, where they did Snatch Game as the second episode. So it's it has oh, happened before, right. but only when there's fewer queens to start out. Um, but uh, this is not the, was it season four romper room fuckery <laughs> type of bad Snatch Game. This is just like, ugh, people just didn't do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a bunch of people who should have done better. I assume you're not watching this. Do you mind if I tell you who people no, did? I have not. Yeah. yeah. So not. we've got um, a underwhelming, I'm hearing people who seem like a great choice for Snatch Game. And then the performances are underwhelming to not all that great. Uh, someone finally did Jennifer Coolidge. Scarlett Adams did Jennifer okay. Coolidge. And did a good voice, but just it wasn't, you know, it was fine. Jennifer Coolidge is such a great choice for that. Like, And it's also, she's also one that people have been waiting for someone to do. A bunch of people use her for auditions, apparently. Um, but no one's okay. actually used her on the show before. And so, like, you just, there, there's high expectations there. Another one, similarly, uh, Karen for Finance, and apparently, by the way, there's a queen of the season on Down Under whose name is Karen from Finance. And also, Drag Race Down Under has someone in the finance department named Karen. So, it's just delightful. Um, but she did uh, Dolly Parton, right? Perfect choice, right? But then, Perfect choice, but, but you gotta nail it. You gotta nail it. And no, Coco Jumbo did Lizzo. Again, great choice. But she didn't twerk once then i don't know what you're doing she just like held a flute but like you've got to play the you got to fake play the flute and twerk at the same time if you're gonna do lizzo like or don't do lizzo um electroshock did Catherine o'hara but basically did moira rose not Catherine yeah, o'hara that's not Catherine o'hara that's more, yeah yeah but that's because they're not allowed to use characters so like you know like they didn't do the dowager countess for ben Creme. he did maggie smith air quotes but it was the dowager countess like, it was the same kind of thing which the judges pretending like they don't know what's happening with that is mm-hmm. it wasn't she didn't sound anything like Catherine O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara doesn't look like that. It's like, 
no, it's Moira Rose, and you don't, you know how this works. This is, this is, Michelle Visage, don't be pretending you don't know how rights issues work on Drag Race. Come on. Anyways, so th- those are all, oh, and someone did Dr. Seuss, and not great, but um, better than anticipated, but not great. Um, okay. There was an Australian person I'm not familiar with called Magda Zabansky, who was apparently very accurate, but not funny. And okay. and then Art Simone did Bindi Irwin, uh, Steve Irwin's daughter. Again, not funny at all. Um, and then there's the very glaring choice to do Lindy Chamberlain. Do you remember who Lindy Chamberlain is? The name's really familiar, but I can't place it. That would be the woman whose daughter was eaten by wild dogs or dingoes. And then went to jail oh. for four years because they didn't believe her. And then was made into a international punching bag and joke by uh, the, the the just that line, the dingo took my baby. Ate my baby. And, yeah. and then, you know, which was in the context of the movie with Meryl Streep, right? Very emotionally fraught thing. But when you just see that clip, easy to play for comedy. And then, of course, Seinfeld, right? Um, and then right. was later exonerated with... DNA and evidence and lost her baby and also years and years of her life and her entire reputation. That's hilarious, right? That's what we should do for... Yeah. There's a way to make that funny if you punch up, but I have a feeling they did not. Yeah, I mean, like, they... they it was just very dark, but mm-hmm. they were not, like... I think it could have been more offensive, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, I just thought, I'm like, okay, I can see that this performance from this queen is entertaining, but the yeah. situation and the actual, like, I know enough of, if like, I didn't know anything about it, it would be like, it would be funny, but because I do, and anybody watching Drag Race Down Under in Australia and New Zealand is gonna know about this, like, it's just, what happened to her was so horrible that it's not funny. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, and then Anita Wiglet crushed it as Queen Elizabeth II. Absolutely destroyed one of my favorite recent Drag Race uh, Snatch Game performances. Uh, many terrific lines about uh, um, Prince Andrew in there and some other things. Uh, fortunately, only I'm like, and maybe this was the editing, but only like one mention of Prince Philip because, of course, they film. I'm guessing they filmed this before he passed. Um, yeah. Uh, but but very like terrific like saved the whole thing <laughs> like when they bring the queens down to like when I call your name step forward Anita Wiglet you won good job <laughs> go to the back you too yeah you're you're fine fine go you six you're all up for elimination what the hell <laughs> so it was a whole it's a whole thing um, anyways uh, there. It was not a particularly, it was it was actually a notably not very good Snatch Game, but it was an entertaining episode of television, um, and I appreciate that they were able to do that, so I wanted to mention it. Uh, seek it out if you're curious, um, or look for just a super cut of the Queen Elizabeth parts and go for that, and, and hopefully y'all enjoy. Um, over on Top Chef Portland, we had Stumptown USA, which was our mushrooms episode, and then our indigenous food episode, so that we had a mushrooms quick, quick fire, and then, well, really, I thought it very interesting and... Uh, and and creative and uh, I mean I look everything looked delicious. Uh, challenge main challenge uh, centered on indigenous food in the in that region of, of you know around Portland. Um, 
so should we start with that or should we start with our villain is gone? Yeah, let's let's talk about Gabriel. Um, and I feel bad that he's gone. Bad air quotes. And like, spoiler alert, he's like gone, gone, folks. Um, yeah. He did not survive. Yeah. And I'm very excited about who's not gone from uh, the, uh, the, the Top Chef. Uh, what is it called again? Last Chance Kitchen. Last Chance Kitchen. Thank you. Yeah. I, I do really like what they're doing with Last Chance Kitchen this season. Because um, it's like, they're they're reintroducing the person so early. What are we doing? Oh, we're just going to keep doing it. I love it. Yes, let's do it. Um, we <laughs> might as well, because these people yeah. are not allowed to leave. <laughs> um, so we might as well keep this train going. Um, so that was really good. So um, Last Chance Kitchen has been actually really good this season. I'm, I always enjoy it, but it's been really good this season. But yeah, um, Gabriel's gone. And it's a little weird watching him be gone for this reason because it was a team challenge and i don't like when our villain leaves for during a team challenge that gets someone else eliminated um because i don't like that because i really like nelson but i also am glad that nelson recognized that he could not physically continue in the competition um which makes me very upset and sad for him but i'm glad he recognized that and not try to push himself um because if there's ever a season that epitomizes don't push yourself it should be this season. <laughs> Don't do it. It's yeah. not worth it. Yes, so, definitely. And also, the show will have you back later if, you know, like, because it's a good yeah, redemption absolutely. narrative. I mean, they know? already did that with one of the, um, a couple of seasons ago um, with, uh, I forget her name, who left um, after having to cook in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did it with Leanne when she had to, with... Because the, the the altitude and the pregnancy and everything, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, I imagine that they'll bring Nelson back if he's able and, like, everything works out. Which I'll, I'll be excited about because I think Nelson was cooking pretty solid food. Um, so I think not having the pain of your knees killing you um, is going to help make his food better. So, yes, I, I'm sad to see... Both of them go in this way, but I'm also glad that the villain is gone because I just (laughs) love all my weirdos, Kate. I love all of them. They're all such weirdos and I never want them to go away. I want this season of Top Chef to just always be all the seasons of Top Chef. (laughs) Well, isn't it so just so perfect for the Portland season? Just, you know, this is how it all, the confluence of like, as opposed to if this was Austin or Chicago or whatever, you know, it's like... You know, there's a bit of serendipity there, and yeah. Yep, I definitely enjoyed these challenges. I Like, everything looked like it tasted amazing. Um, I, I enjoy mushrooms, oh, um, so, like, having the, guess, like, the, 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 you know, the the celebration of earthy umami flavors mm. that we got there. And I love, I also loved Tom being like, mushrooms are awesome, I'm doing this yes. one. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming in for the quick fire because I really like mushrooms. I want to taste it. So, I thought that was great. Um... Our next episode is Batwoman, and I'll give you a clue, which uh, ends with a cliffhanger that I think is very well handled, and uh, you know, a reveal to of something that we know, but the characters haven't figured out. I know what this is. How they're going to do it? Apparently, you know what this is. Okay, apparently, this is a moment. It looks like from some stuff I was seeing on Twitter that this is actually a moment from the comics. Okay, um, which I did not know that, but the 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 line. You have our father's eyes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yes, that is a very significant thing from the comics between the two of them. Yeah, so that's like, because I was like, I was like, that's what a great way to do that reveal and to handle that. Um, and then I saw people talking, like, the panel from the comic, right, was making the rounds on Twitter. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, and then how did more people not see this coming is my question. But, when, you know, if you catch up, we'll talk about more about it then because I know you have a much stronger connection to the comics. You know a lot more about the comics than I do for this character. But anyways, the rest of the episode was Riddler Light. Um, but oh, it was, master. again, it was fun. Just the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the uh, lampshading of Riddler and some of these other, you know, shout outs that they did in their like kind of quiz game thing. I liked the handling of the um, revelations we get between of, around um, Ryan's identity and, and some of these other lingering questions of who knows what and how much and when did they figure it out. Um, and I like that we, you know, where they end with some of our Jake stuff too. Uh, Jacob Kane stuff and... You know, we'll see what's coming next. For a character I don't care about, they're doing a very good job. Like that's, and it's not on the, it's not really on the performance. It's just like I'm just more interested in other parts of the show. Mm-hmm. I think they're doing a really good job of getting me invested through Mary, which is always going to be a good call yes. with this show. Just you know, give Mary some connection to it, and I'll and I'll I'll care. Um, I like that we got a little love interest for Luke here. We'll see how that continues. Oh, is this with Stephanie and. Yeah. yeah, I always want more Stephanie Brown. I love Stephanie Brown. Um, she's great, and I, I, I did not know I wanted spoiler on TV. And I'm not saying spoiler as in spoiler alert. That's the character superhero name is spoiler. Um, yeah, when she becomes a superhero, eventually uh, she dons the mantle spoiler. Um, she's also been Batgirl and Robin, and is the only character who's been both of those. Um, okay. She's a really great character, and I really like Stephanie Brown a lot. Um, so I was, that's one of the reasons I was excited that they did Clue Master. Um, in part also because while I love the Riddler, I have a special place in my heart for this poor, low rent Riddler that is Clue Master. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but no, that's great. I'm very excited about that because. So you should, you should check this one out. Yeah. Then. No, yeah. I'm going to. I'm just like. I'm just so behind on stuff right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. But I mean, like, just even jump to this one if, if you know, considering that you're more invested in some of these other characters. Yeah. I didn't... See, I, I didn't realize that these are all, you know, comic yeah. plot points and such. So that's exciting. That's fun. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed this one. And I continue to really... Like, I think that as you go through the season, the character of Ryan and... I mean, we, we like Javisi Lizzie from the jump, mm-hmm. but the, she's getting increasingly comfortable in the role and in the her, the central as the central driving force of things and that's working really well. So, um, yeah, it's hard to think that all of the, like the Island stuff was this season as well. Cause this post Island stuff is just so much better. Um, anyways, more on that, uh, eventually maybe next week and maybe at the end of the season, the flash had timeless and we get, uh, theoretically our last, is this our last episode with Kavanaugh? I'm pretty sure it's intended as the last episode with Kavanaugh. Yes. Okay, uh, what did you think? So, there's a lot to unpack about this episode. <laughs> Just a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the Harrison Wells and Tom Cavanaugh of it all, I actually kind of liked it as kind of a very low-key goodbye. Um, yeah. But I also like that it was so low-key that Tom Cavanaugh shows up in sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, if you're going to live the same, like, few years of your life over and over and over again and just keep watching The West Wing, 
I feel like that's that's the correct outfit is just sweatpants and stuff. It's very um, it's very 2020, right? Very 2021. Right, exactly. Um, but I th- also like just the general kind of subduedness of Timeless Wells, which I think is a great name for this Wells. Um, it's a little silly, but what about this show isn't silly mm-hmm. um, in in myriad ways. But yeah, no, so it was a really kind of low-key goodbye. And the thing that I ultimately really liked about it is how that goodbye provides the final motivation for Cisco being like, I need to leave. I need to get out of Central City. Um, and while we already talked about this last week with the fact that Valdez has already been announced that he's leaving, um, I like that that's the inciting incident, basically, on top of everything else. But like this is like, my mentor is gone. I don't know what else is going on for me here, but my partner's ready to leave. I'm ready to leave. Let's leave. Well, and so. I will make I will do things I am ethically not comfortable with right. if I stay. Yes. And my boss doesn't really care about that. I, I won't necessarily like who I allow myself to become and I choose to become if yep. I stay. It's time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think all of that builds really nicely. Um in an episode that is otherwise kind of a mess compared when you think about it in flow terms of the previous episode. Which is what we need to talk about because the previous episode is all about how, you know, it's such a abhorrent thing to force the metahuman air quotes cure on someone who isn't willing. Um, And then, you know, they're all very much on board with this. And obviously that's how the entire team feels. And then in this episode... Barry's like, so, but no, but we're going to do it. Like, they'll still be there. They'll still be human. We're just going to change a fundamental part of who they've become. But they've only been that for, like, 17 days. So it's okay. It's not a crime against their identity and their personhood and anything to do that. I get to just make that choice. Um, The lack of any pushback from anyone, like, to say, how is this different from what they tried to do to Frost? literally last episode like if they at least mentioned it and then had some bullshit reason justification that you know they had that that barry gave and that could be your point of that could be your friction point with cisco for example would be a great you know jumping off point there um that would be that would make sense but they just they just didn't think about it or just hope that we wouldn't and given how hard they hit that in the previous episode, that was foolish. Yeah. And, I mean, it's really noticeable that, like, Caitlin's not in this episode at all until, like, the very end. Yeah. Um, where she's monitoring um, Alexa. And it's just, like, folks. Folks. Um, because... Yes, he eventually comes to the realization that he is that Barry comes to the realization that he's wrong after he watch watches the birth of his air quotes speed, uh, force children, which is a thread that I love. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's, it's really so dumb. stupid. It's really yeah. really stupid. But God bless mm-hmm. Gustin Grant for crying. Yeah. At watching energy beams spread out in the sky. He is that kind of nerd. Moment. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> well, so and such sad. dad energy, like such dad yes. bod, da- dad, like, 
and I don't mean dad bod energy as in Grant Gustin does not have a dad bod, uh, but as in like the energy that you associate with the concept of a dad bod is very much Gustin as Barry's energy hundred <laughs> percent. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, like he's just, he's just got a, he's got a whole Rolodex in his head of dad jokes. He's just waiting to crack out like when the time is appropriate. And apparently this is what they're going to do. Uh, this is the first, you know, since, since their future, you know, future baby Nora, um, this is the, the, the first time that they get to pull the play that play with that energy. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to how they, dive in with all of that they're also teasing bart very much so with the yes, iris stuff here yeah yeah which is yeah and bart's been confirmed so um yeah like that that'll be interesting to see that play out um but yeah no it was just real weird to watch them that cisco's objection was flashpoint which makes sense because he really hated flashpoint and all of the effects of flashpoint mm-hmm. so that's a really solid through line so it's really bizarre to watch them go yeah that thing from three seasons ago is still a major weight. But that thing from last week, don't think about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, like you've got your friction point with Iris. And I think it makes yeah. sense for her to be the first one. And then yes, you've got absolutely. flashpoint for Cisco. Caitlin should like, is the, the logical natural choice to bring yeah. up this stuff with frost and they just don't. And it, it, it was very jarring. Um, any other thoughts yeah. on this? Of course, Joe is the voice of reason. Yeah, and boy, you know what? I have missed a Joan Barry discussion, like, yeah. a lot. Yeah. Because um, they haven't been doing them a lot. They've been doing a lot of, like, Barry and Iris stuff, which I think is also really, really good. Mm-hmm. But I have missed a Joe sets Barry on the right path discussion. Because mm-hmm. they're so good. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um well, unless you have anything else, let's head over to Supergirl with their mid-season finale, Fear Not. Uh, first up, any thoughts on our time travel escapades? Yeah. So, listeners, I skipped episodes three and four because I don't care about the Phantom Zone, and I refuse to engage in any sort of that chicanery. So, to <laughs> put that in perspective, a lot of the stuff that I was supposed to care about of what happened at the very end of this episode, <laughs> I don't know anything about that aside from what I read on Wikipedia, to which I went, okay... The time travel stuff, though, really good and really fun. Like, big hats off to Eliza Helm for doing a, like, Uncanny Valley impersonation of Callista Flockhart. <laughs> oh, see, not for me at all. Not at all. I thought it was a good performance, but, like, yeah, for me, because maybe it's just because we so recently watched Ally McBeal. Yeah. That that it was very jarring in my head. Um, but I think that that's not on her or the performance. It's just because maybe it's because the performance was she was hitting those beats so well that I was like, but she doesn't look like Calista Flockhart. <laughs> so right. Maybe that's what it was. She she does not look like Calista Flockhart. Um, but I really feel like she hits Flockhart's cadences and line deliveries and mm-hmm. just like voice tremor. Um, especially when she was back in like in the late nineties and early aughts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, and having watched Island Veal so recently, it was just like, Oh, this is weird. And I love it. <laughs> um, so that was a big driver for me, but I also really liked everything else with uh, Nia and with Brainy. I thought was really, really good, but also like you had alluded to just continued hats off to their, casting of young Alex and young Kara just continue to just be really good. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I enjoyed both of those episodes and I thought they were really, really fun. Um, and that leads into Fear Not, to which I go, wait, do I like Supergirl again? (laughs) (laughs) Right? I think I do. It's a weird feeling. I don't know what to do with this feeling, Kate. So walk me through it a little bit. Tell me a little bit about Fear Not, because I know we're on the same page with this episode. Do I like Supergirl again? You might like Supergirl again. Um, well, and shout out to friend of the show, Caroline Sita. Her review over at the AV Club uh, pinned something that I would not have connected to, um, which is, this is Supergirl as TNG. And uh, Jean is, is Picard. Oh my God, And is. Alex is Riker. And, you know, like, you know, like all, like, there's really straightforward <laughs> Peril is like, and the tower is actually a spaceship. <laughs> We're like, it doesn't make any sense, but just go with it. <laughs> We're all going to sit around the co- conference table and discuss the morality of these different, you know, Q waves or whatever it is, or Q waves, you know, all of that. Yeah, like Q waves, yeah, yeah. And and I read that and I was like, mind blown. Yeah, no. Way to go, like Chef's kiss. Well done, Caroline. Um, yeah, absolutely delightful. Uh, th- this episode, it was like, and I also really enjoyed the flashback, you know, our, our time travel episodes, too. I thought they handled that all very well. Um, and then to, to go over to write to this one, to be like, show, why haven't you been doing this? This is so much better. We get, you know, like, the, and some of this is forced by COVID restrictions. Some of this is forced by, I believe, Melissa Bonas was on maternity leave. I could be wrong on that, but I, I want to say she was. And so that's part of why Kara's been off in the in the fandom zone. So they could film all of her stuff separately and, like, quickly. Um, but uh, t- taking, like, pairings that have been underserved. So, like, in the in our time travel ones, it's Nia and Brady. Here we get Nia and Lena, the most stuff that I think they've ever had together, which and is it's terrific. it's good. It's so yeah. good. Um, and then, then there's reasons to separate and isolate everyone. We get some really good stuff. Um, with Alex and both Jean and then Kelly, um, like there's, there's some really good, like, and like some of the, the whole thing with braining the balloons was great. With it's so good. And God bless, God bless, um, Jesse Rath for just selling mm-hmm. the shit out of that. You're not gonna be, you're just rubber. You're just rubber and holding in gas <laughs> um delightful uh, th- there was so much that was well observed whether it was comedically or dramatically um the stuff with lena i mean katie mcgrath he hits it out of the park every time but i thought the st- bringing back her mo- mom dying when she was a kid by drowning the the kelpie stuff the mythology like so much of that mythology stuff um that her connection to that ended up going in a frankly in my opinion stupid way with uh her friendship with the, our big bad for, you know our our new owner of Catco, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, and this, I thought, was just a much more interesting way to do it. Watching her realize that she was inside of the fear, like, like hallucination, and process all of that, the alien shout-out that they were doing, you know, there was a lot to really c- connect into and enjoy. And I, and I appreciate that by the end of the episode, yes, everything's great and all, but they very consciously leave you unsettled with dreamer Mm -hmm. specifically and where like her vision of brainy like they aren't all fine like the people who realized that they what was happening are much more fine than the people who endured being airlocked right on these other things and and i like that the people are in different states after that kind of an experience it's not just everybody's fine and yay we won um i'm 
intrigued that they're again bringing back Supergirls, you know, Kara's uh, family, and we'll see, like, biological family. I love, love, love that it's not her friends who come to save her, it's her family who's come to save her. Um, and I'm intrigued with what's going to happen with Nixie. Um, yeah, so I, I I just was, you know, the structure of this, the 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 conceit, the, you know, the keep re- rewinding the clock 10 minutes each time, the performances, this was directed by David Harewood, who plays Jean, um, and he, I thought he did a terrific job with it. And yeah, it was just, it was, it was super, it was super fun. And I'm definitely on board with the, this version of the show. I just don't, I don't know that this promises that in the next half of the season, but I would yeah. love if it did. Yeah. And I think that mentioning um, Harewood's a really good point. And Kyler Lee also directed Prom again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you see in both of those episodes, these episodes in particular, that it's they're very actor-driven episodes. Um, not so much Prom again, but Fear Not especially is very actor-driven. And I think having an actor who's worked on the show since its start really kind of helps inform a lot of that language that we see visually, but also helps a lot of the actors really kind of dig into what their character needs to do here and have that sense of being vulnerable. Um, that an, only a director who has also been an actor on the same show you are, and you've worked with for, in a lot of these cases for at least three years. Yeah. That you have a positive working relationship with, shall we say. Yeah. And that's also really key. So I think that there's a lot of really good stuff there that um, everyone's able to pull out and pull together. And he like, just also like a lot of this is also done in editing. I acknowledge, but like, this is not an easy episode to like direct either. Mm -hmm. Um, and make sure that all those things kind of hit and make sense when you're like filming. Um, so there's a lot going on there and this episode is just really, really good. And I really appreciate your point that everyone's in kind of not the best space, um, when everything's wrapped up, which I think it provides a really good through line, especially for like Nia after everything that was happening with the prom duo episodes. Um, she's really kind of struggling and I'm, I'm really keen on seeing how all of that continues to play out as we go forward. And with like Zorel back, which I don't care about, but okay, show sure. Let's do this. Um, but yeah, it's just really weird to have watched three episodes of the show and go, right. This show is good. This show can aside be from, really good. Aside huh. from like the really awful stuff that they do with Kara and Lena, this show can be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it sure would be nice if they decided to end as well as they are capable of. Yeah, exactly. So I guess we'll see once ev- since everyone's back on, everyone's going to be back on Earth and we're going to have to deal with Lex now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, we'll I kind of forgot what happened to him since I skipped. <laughs> yeah, well, he's running LexCore, um, okay. and Lena has stepped down from it because she's realized that she gains nothing by he just she's just giving him attention by fighting with him and trying to wrest control of LexCore from him and all of that. Um, gotcha. Yeah. But okay, which is the kind of thing that is true until they decide. Oh, we really it was. By walking away, you just empowered him further, right? Like, they're going to go back and forth with that. So we'll see what happens with it. But uh, I'm so much less interested in Lex than I am in apparently a Kelpie, a space fear Kelpie. Yeah, which is fair. Um, And we should note that this is off the air until August. 
Yeah. Um, like near the end of August too, if I'm remembering correctly. So they are off for a little while. Quite um, a long time. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, um, not the way you. I think not the way you want to end your season. But it's been a really weird TV year. <laughs> it has. It has indeed. Um, and and it is very much they're saying at the mid season finale. So the 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 last the final thirteen episodes of season six basically will be season seven, but whatever. That'll start yeah. in the fall. Um, well, what is your week in TV? Well, I do want to like have a like quick call out to Legends of Tomorrow. We had Meet the Legends um, with, a, thankfully, not a rehash of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the meat is evil. Double meat palace. It's just the condiments. Yeah. It's the secret sauce, um, <laughs> which looked really delicious. I'm not going to lie to everyone. Um, but... As friend of the show, Allison Shoemaker also pointed out in her review of this episode, it's it's a little weird that Zari can hear everything in the totem and we need to have a quick discussion <laughs> because yeah. that's awful. That has to be the worst, right? Is she in both totems now? Can she just like yes. pop between them? Like, did she split herself as well? Like... That was just a good creative solution to it. Just be like, oh my god, just take two totems. Like, yeah. That was lovely yeah. and all, but it, really you're, you're absolutely right. It does raise other questions. Yeah. I don't want to think about it too hard because this show does not warrant thinking about too hard. Mm-hmm. But really solid. Also, shout out to having your alien poses, Amelia Earhart, despite not aging a day. Just chef's kiss, beautiful, perfect. Like, I loved it. I kept um, waiting. Why aren't they asking about the dog? Why aren't they asking yeah. Amelia about her dog? Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens next. I'm intrigued. Um, I, I, I really, what about you? What won your, what won your week as well? well I didn't did even say what won my week. Yeah. So, but <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> um, I think what won my week this week was, um, yeah, I think Top Chef Portland, but also like honorary mention to Supergirl. Because I didn't think I'd be doing that, but yeah, so Top Chef, but like Supergirl came awfully, awfully close. Um, what about you? I think I'll give it to uh, Legendary. I was just, I really enjoyed having it back. Mm-hmm. Um, but shout out to the Supergirl finale and then on, and Legends of Tomorrow, which, which I, it was so strange. And I enjoyed it, of course, for just how ridiculous it was um yeah uh now we'll take a break and come back with our dvd shelf on small acts red white and blue lord may you protect your servant leroy please keep him safe for his police training Attention! and grant us the wisdom to accept his decision at least this way that i can change things get out of my house it is us and them. That's how it works. Start police! Come out there with no backup! Sometimes I think the earth needs to be scorched. Replanted. So something good will come of it. If you are the big tree, we are the small eggs. Sharpen to cut you down. 
that was a trailer for Small Axe, Red, White, and Blue, which is the latest, uh, it's the third that we've talked about, but um, it's the latest in our, you know, continuing returning to this every so often, uh, Small Axe. And this is the one that stars John Boyega. For those who don't know, Small Axe is a series of films originally premiered on BBC. Um, so they are TV movies, in my opinion. But if you ask Steve McQueen, though, of course, the creator, these are films, not TV movies, that just happened to premiere on TV and also premiered at, at, at film festivals and such. So we're not going to rehash that. This is the one, the, these, the series of films follow um, West Indian uh, immigrants and communities in London um, from the 70s through 80s and maybe even a little further. This one is set in the 80s, follows John Boyega as um, a... As a actual person um, who Leroy Logan, Leroy Logan, thank you, who left a career as a scientist to become a police officer, and ended up um, being the first chair, like chairperson or president of the Black Police Officers like Union or organization. He was the founding member of the Black Police Association. Yeah, yeah, um, and so like about his decision to to change careers and how that, you know, affected him and his family and the people around him, some of his experiences um, and, and all of that. And, and really the central, like I was expecting, given um, the various places this could end, I was expecting, or, or we're going to end up with like the founding of that organization or some of these other things. And no, it, what it traces is really his relationship with his father and policing and tracing it to a point of, his father's acceptance of his choice. And I thought that was a really powerful way to, to frame it and to, to allow a much more focused um, look at a, a, a shorter and more specific period of his experience. Um, what did you think of this? Were you familiar with this story at all? I was not at all before watching this. And what, what did you think of it? Yeah, no, I wasn't familiar with uh, Logan's story in any way, shape, or form. Um, so this was... This might as well have been a, like, fictional mm -hmm. scripted type of thing, um, as opposed to, like, a inspired by real events historical drama kind of deal. Because um, I would not have known either way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's to McQueen's credit that, especially compared to certain parts of Mangrove, um, where it doesn't necessarily feel like it's doing that history thing, really. Because um, some, as much as and listeners, you'll remember, I really like Mangrove a hell of a lot. But you can also just kind of feel it doing the history thing, especially in the courtroom stuff. Whereas here, I don't feel like you're doing the history thing really. Yeah. I think that you're really telling, like you said, Kate, a really focused story about Logan's relationship with his father. That, and the ways in which. Each of them have influenced the other, and incidents affecting each other cause those choices to happen. And then you have to find some kind of ground between them. And I think that there's just a lot of really great balance of that emotionality plus making sure that we're not shying away from the institutional and systemic relationship within the Met police force um, that Logan faces as well. So I think that this is a nice balanced edge, balanced on a nice edge 
but it's so really well done. And also, Kate, we've just done really poorly by John Boega, I feel like, as a culture. <laughs> I really, really, really need to see Attack the Block. I, I still haven't seen it, and I know... He's very good in it. I will enjoy like, it. Yeah. It's it's pretty solid, and his role isn't... I, I feel his role is sizable, um, but that is very much an ensemble film, yeah. which makes it all the better. But... Man, is he just ridiculous in this movie. Just powerhouse performance from him in this. Yeah, he's good. I mean, I think I think he's he's terrific in in it. I think he responded to the performance a little more than I did. Mm-hmm. But but I still is a terrific. I mean, like yeah, he's really really good and not only was, you know, the various uh things that happened with his work on like in the Star Wars franchise very unfortunate for the Star Wars franchise. Like you, like you have Boyega right there and you're not using him. Um, but, uh, you know, that's been, again, that's been talked about and covered plenty in other places, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm grateful that he's getting a role like this, that he gets to really show what he can do. And I'm sure there are other things coming for him, you know, in the future. It feels very much like people know he's really good, but, um, and I mean, we'll see what happens, but there are there are worse things than getting swallowed by Star Wars. Um, so he seems to be out the other side from some of that. But He's we'll see. so done with it. He's so done with Star Wars, and good for him. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But no, he he's. I mean, you need a very grounded central performance. You need a very uh, uh, enigmatic. Like, like you need somebody who's going to just keep your eyes with yep. just their reactions and their, like you need someone who you can just watch, think um, to, and watch react to make this work. And, and mm-hmm. he does a terrific job with that. Definitely. Yeah. And that's really what I was wanting to um, McQueen and McQueen finds a way to like, I mean, is constantly framing him in a lot of close-ups. Yeah. And close-ups are hard. Like doing close-up acting is difficult because you don't want to overdo it but you still need to do a little bit of acting but you're not doing like silent film passion of joan of arc in the 1920s acting which is like beautiful close-up acting but in a very different time period um but boiga just is doing like really just like twitchy not twitchy in like the john john davies like twitchy but like just like small minute facial like micro movements. expressions yeah yeah exactly thank you that just you see that or he's doing a lot of eye acting as well which is also just like one of my favorite things to watch um and you see that constantly uh when he's especially when logan's trying to be restrained about something um but then watching it just kind of exp- it, so it makes when he's angry and like explodes something much richer than just like a buildup of some, you get the sense of the buildup as opposed to he's just angry. Mm-hmm. And I think both of that happens within the writing and the arcing of his experiences from the steady racism that he experiences within the department, either passively or aggressively in the case of not getting any backup from folks when he calls for it. Um, and then gets hurt as a result. Um, that, that buildup of stuff is just really, really great. Um, and I think Boega and the script do a really nice job of hitting that note um, and finding finding 
finding like I hate saying finding the truth in it because it's such a like snooty theater <laughs> thing to say, but they do, and it's really really good. Yeah, finding um, the space and the authenticity in it because mm-hmm. like there's while yes, this is obviously a true based on true story, right? Um, and the you know, McQueen met with Logan and like you know. And, and like what they they had interacted before this was even filmed and everything like um, there you can look up some interviews and stuff with Logan talking about this. Uh, so so obviously this is based on actual experiences and you know very rich lived experiences. But even if it wasn't like these are familiar beats, right? Yes. It's such a universal experience for a marginalized uh, person, like a, a person in a marginalized group. Trying to, like, as he says, very specifically, I am joining the police force. I'm not here to make friends, but to try to change it from the inside. Like, he straight up stands up and says that in his, like, first day at class, you know, when yeah. they, they go to, you know, like, the, the six-week officer training or whatever it is. Um, and so, so like, it, it follows a lot of familiar and predictable beats uh, because that... It was the experience and continues to be the experience of so many people um, in these types of situations. And to make that feel earned and authentic and, and in the moment, I think shows the skill of the, the performances and the, the, the choice to take such a restrained performance to, to center on such a more subtle approach and with those mm-hmm. close-ups and really like staying with him and you know being with his experience as opposed to stepping back from it as opposed to going broader as opposed to going bigger and letting the emotion of a strong response hit you instead letting the emotion of the inability to have that the the lack of like that would be a luxury that he's yeah. not allowed you know um it makes that feel very very fresh and um, not, like, I can see a version of this story that would feel paint by numbers, and this one definitely does not. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that also, everything that they do to kind of drive home that subtlety, but also that authenticity, um, is, and also I think the use of the close-ups does a really good job of this as well, um, because it inverts what you would typically expect of how to showcase loneliness and isolation, which is normally to have a person in a wide shot isolated or at a distance from folks but instead logan is framed very often like trapped within the frame instead um and i think that's a really interesting concept of still demonstrating that because logan is deeply isolated and lonely from his community from his father and from the police force even down to like he finds a comrade in asif um but who leaves after how they treat after how they treat logan um, he just gives up and, like, just quits the police force. And so the ways in which that you have to have Logan have the str- have the strength of determination to continue marching on and stay with the police force for, like, 30-something years, I yeah. think. He retired after 30 years, yeah. Okay. Um, is just intense, but the ways in which they really isolate him from the slurs that other um, people of color and call him as he's like patrolling his inability to connect with folks in his own community now 
but his inability to connect with his fellow police officers, and then finally his inability to connect with uh, his father, played by Steve Toussaint, who's also just really great. Um, so I do kind of want to like close on kind of talking about their relationship because, like you said at the top of this, it's really the core of the show, uh, core of the movie is how do these two men who both think that they're doing the right thing end up finding acceptance from one another. And it's really, it's really, considering how much of their relationship we don't see, especially in like the middle, um, the ending is deeply satisfying in a way that I was not expecting. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 performances are terrific, but also just the the dialogue that they that final like exchange is so well done. Um, really, it's really it hits it packs a punch, like you're saying. Um, when you know deep into your bones, you just you know that what what the you know one of the people you love most in the entire world is doing is wrong and destructive and counter to everything you believe. How do you, and how do you manage that? And that's how they both feel, you know, it's, it's such a potent thing. And they, you know, I think we get just enough time with them, like a flashback with him as a kid, right? Logan as a kid. And then, I also would have liked more in the middle, but um, it, it's all, you know, I, th- I think you get such a good sense of who these two men are and how Logan is his father's son and mm-hmm. how he like that stubbornness and that will um, and that surety he, you know, he got from his whole family, certainly, but definitely he got that from his dad. And yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what like why he, if someone's going to do this, he is the person who's going to do this, who's yeah. going to be able to endure in a way that, you know, his, his, you know, his only ally in the department just isn't able to, uh, and, and makes the right choice for him and leaves. Um, and, and yet <laughs> it, it it's really affecting again, like fathers and sons, eh? yeah, like tales all this time, whatever. This is a really good, a really well-observed version of that and uh yeah really compelling yeah absolutely um yeah i don't really have a whole lot else to say about it um it's probably my favorite so far um of the films that we've watched but i've also really liked all of them they've all been great yeah they've all been really great um just hitting like different notes and that kind of a thing because like Listeners, you'll remember how much Lovers Rocks stressed me out. <laughs> Which is not the vibe you want for that movie, but it no. still stressed me out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm excited to like finish out. We have like two more. I don't know that we're going to get to them before we go on hiatus. Yeah. Um, but I will definitely watch the other two <laughs> because the first three have just been really great. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, the Televerse recommends a year too yep. late. 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that you check these out. Um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start a conversation there. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can find an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed up in Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a rating and review. Let us know uh, what you think of the show and uh, you know, and let, then reach out and let us know that you left a rating and review so we can see it. Um, you can also rate and review us over on Stitcher, which we'd appreciate. It helps other people find the show. And, of course, we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thanks so much for a great discussion this week, Kate. And I will see you over the bridge from Queens next week. <laughs> I, I am so looking forward to the, the, the last, like, handful of shows that we're going to be doing uh, mm-hmm. before we go on a hiatus. They are, like, just very different from each other, and I'm delighted. Yes. So yeah, I, I am too. Yeah. Anyways, more on that next week. Um, yeah. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. 